Hungry Trilobite podcast would like to start by acknowledging SoonerCon. The longest-running pop culture con in Oklahoma has a new look, a new mascot, and a fantastic guest list. Join us in Norman, Oklahoma, June 30th through July 2nd, 2023, and meet celebrities such as Billy West, John Scalzi, Erica Harlicker, and John Swayze. Visit SoonerCon.com to reserve your membership. Welcome to today's episode of the Hungry Trilobite Podcast. My name is Aaron Bossig, and I'm going to be your host. Today I'm welcoming Mary Jo Peel to the show. You'll know her from MST3K, from Rift Tracks. She has a new project with Dumb Industries and has put out a book that we want to talk about for sure. Before I do, I'm going to remind you that if you haven't subscribed to this show, you may want to go ahead and do that now because we're going to reference several episodes that have taken place in the past. And if you like this chat, you're probably going to be interested in those episodes as well. It'll make it easier to cue them up later on. Let's go ahead and start with Mary Jo Peel. On tap today, we have one of my favorite people on the planet, Mary Jo Peel. How are you doing? I'm good. I didn't realize I was one of your favorite people on the planet. You really are. Uh, I've been following your work for ages. I mean, granted, I got to know you through Mystery Science Theater 3000, but I followed you through your writing and through Rift Tracks and Cinematic Titanic. And I would say um, I actually had a guest on a couple of weeks ago. I said, when it comes to Rift Tracks, as much as I love all of them, the ones with Bridget and Mary Jo tend to be my favorites. So I'm uh, you're, you're definitely a favorite of mine. That is really cool. Thank you. Yeah, I'm really, um, I love getting to work with Bridget and she makes me laugh and I love that I get to do a riff track. So thanks. And um, the comparison is high praise indeed. I got this book of yours here. You purchased it, what, it was last year? Dumb, dumb, dumb. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how to talk about it. I'm very thankful for this book because I needed this book a lot. But I like to say it's a very funny book and you're a very funny lady, but the subject matter is not something people tend to laugh about. So I don't know how to start that conversation. Yeah, Aaron, that's really interesting You that you said you don't know how to talk about it. So I want to know more about what you don't know what to talk about it. Is is it the, the sort of paradox of the subject matter and my sense of humor? Yes. Uh, and not that I don't expect that, because having read your humor for a while, I, I kind of know how you, you you put a spin on things. But the book, it, to, to not give any spoilers, it is about the last uh, experiences you have with your mother going through her things, which is something it, nobody's looking forward to. It's a, a tragic point in all of our lives. I've lost a parent myself, so I know exactly where you're coming from. And I could not I had humorous moments, but to actually make a whole book out of it is difficult. And I've recommended this book to people based on their experiences. And I'm like, I don't want you to think I'm downplaying what you're going through by recommending this book, but I truly think it's going to be helpful and you're going to get a laugh even when you don't necessarily want one. Wow. Right. I, I think I really just tried to write from a, um, place of authenticity. And I think there is a real, universality to families and parent dynamics. I know it can go the extreme in either way. I don't want to minimize anyone else's experience um, with their family unit, but I just tried to write from a place of truth. And um, the book is about finding my mother's card catalog of all the books she read. 
over um, maybe, I don't know, 15 years, I can't remember. And she read so much that she started forgetting what she was reading. And I set it up at the beginning of the book that when she and I would talk about books, I'd be sitting across from her and she would tell me about what she was reading. And then she would say, but I swear I've read the damn thing before. So she started keeping notes and we found this card catalog after she died and it just really spurred a lot of memories and I'm sure it's kind of you know how you try and work through your relationship or your memories and contextualize somebody which I think is an ongoing process with a parent. And it's a process you don't necessarily realize until you're at least in your 30s, if not 40s or 50s, because you start to realize that this person that you thought was so old and so experienced when you were a kid <laughs> is where you are now. And you don't have a clue what's going on in your life. Right. They were just wait, like you really get get perspective. They were just winging it, too. And one of the things I tried to articulate is the idea that um I don't know that I ever saw my mother as being multidimensional or human. She was just sort of this opposing force, painting that in very broad strokes. And then as you age and you start experiencing your life, you realize, oh, yeah, my mother had hopes and dreams beyond five little kids by the time she was 28. Mm hmm. And you you get to the point where you're you're starting to realize that you're putting yourself in their shoes now, and you're you're wondering, and, and you also bring this up that sometimes that the culture just pushed it on them that they had to do this, they had to act this way. There were some more dis, uh, concrete expectations of them in their generation than we have now, which is good and bad depending on how you want to, depending on what your ambitions are. Yeah, I, I, I really a cultural force that she talks about you barely even questioned them mm -hmm. at the time she got married she and my dad got married in 1954 and when I would ask her questions about getting married or having kids one thing that she said she would typically say is it's just what you did. And she wasn't trying to be complacent about it. She was reflecting back on the cultural forces that she just went lockstep with this process. And at the time, that generation was just so thankful that they could get a house and they could start a family and they had some level of security, which was something that the previous generation never had. So there's like, okay, let's, let's embrace this. And then a couple of years later, you're like, maybe that had consequences yeah that is a very that's a very good point Aaron yeah and it um it it kind of came it kind of made me realize it when she read and I talk about this in the book too is she read the women's room which is a feminist novel and she got really mad about it and we talked here and there about it but just reconsidering those life choices that she didn't even know were a choice you know, she got married at 20, and by 28, she had five kids. And on the other hand, you got the chance to go off and you started a career, which I, I don't think any of your siblings shared. Uh, you, you did something totally different. You, you went to New York and, and to the, you started the show. You did your stand-up. And did your, did your mom 
I wouldn't say, did she support that, but did she understand your motivation to do that? I don't think she did. That's a really good question. She did not. I think she was always really skeptical uh, because again, she came of a generation where uh, a very nine to five generation and her big thing was, um, do you, you know, do you get benefits with your job? And I just never fit in with that world. So I kind of, after losing many jobs in a row, I kind of got stand-up comedy and writing and theater kind of found me. And I don't think it wasn't in on my radar and it certainly wasn't on my family's radar. They're very pragmatic. You know, all my siblings have like quantifiable job skills <laughs> that they can fill out on an application. And um, it never occurred to me and I don't think it occurred to them either. They just, and bottom line is they were just concerned about my well-being. Mm -hmm. And that, that gets to be difficult as well, because you know that they mean well, you know that their heads are in the right place, but they don't necessarily have all the facts when it comes to what's, what's available to you. And, and there are some people that, that try to go off and they think they're going to, you know, take a bus to LA and the next week they'll have a sitcom and that doesn't work that way either. But there are people like yourself who can, they put in the grind, they do the work, they get lucky, they they keep at, they hone their craft and it works out. That's not yeah. an unreasonable thing. Yeah, no. And um, it, it was dicey, but I didn't have a, I didn't have a choice because I couldn't, I couldn't hold down a day job. So I totally lucked out, but I've also worked really hard. And um, I have so many friends and colleagues who are super talented and work their butts off. So I'm always hesitant to, to um, to say that I made it or it's so great for me because it's such a fickle industry is my point. You know, I have really talented friends and they work hard. I just got some some breaks along the way. Like who would have ever thought that the Twin Cities would have be home to a cult show that I had the opportunity to right on. I mean, who, who even conceives of that? And um, I don't think my parents really understood what I was doing in terms of comedy or, or theater or writing and freelancing the constant hustle. And then when I got Mystery Science Theater, they, um, of course, the first question was, well, do you get benefits? And we did. Mm -hmm. And so they were very relieved about that. Um, but I still don't think they got what it was. Like my mom would brag about it, but she kind of didn't know what she was bragging about. <laughs> I think mostly she was just relieved that um, I wasn't going to be living in their basement. Fair enough. I, and that's something that today in, in the current world, we can totally believe that. It's like, oh, well, there's this amazing show that's being produced out of nowhere. Back when MST3K started and even through most of its life, that was not the case. In the pre-YouTube world, you didn't believe something could happen outside of New York or L.A. Bingo, and, and exactly. Uh, people will, will say to me, and you know, not that I'm successful at all in the, in the creative field, but I will. People will say to me, you know, I, I'm afraid to leave my day job. I'm afraid to do this or that. And it's like the the day jobs of the world are not as secure as you think they are. So if you want to do this, it's not going to be easy. Take a stab at it. 
bingo, especially in this day and age, it's not, it's not like it used to be. And I think my parents thinking and understandably so was that you, um, you get a job out of college or high school or vocational school, whatever works for you. And then you stay with that company, which Aaron, now that I'm, I'm articulating it, it occurs to me that my dad always had a day job, but he was also an entrepreneur. Like he, he, um, he made his own businesses. He had side hustles. So it's interesting to me that that maybe it wasn't as foreign to them as I thought it was. Do you see what I'm saying? I do see what you're saying. I, I mean, he if I remember the stories, he, he had the shop. He was the mayor for a while. Mm-hmm. And I mean, these were all things that you just kind of made sense, I'm sure, at the moment. Right. And so you know, maybe they did recognize that sort of um, piece of themselves in me. My mom had a card shop, she a card and gift shop, she worked part time. So maybe it wasn't as foreign as I imposed on them, because Mm -hmm. I was learning how to do it at the same time they were observing me trying to learn how to do it. So there was Mm -hmm. a learning curve for both of us. And I think um, I just by making my way in this scrappy world of freelancing, I taught them and not to sound lofty or anything, but like I say, I didn't have a choice. Those were the things that came together for me, not the nine to five. Right. And the tools that you had available to you were not the tools that they had available to them. They said, oh, well, here's a place with a cheap lease, we can start a shop there, you know, so that, that's, that's what they looked at. And, and it takes talent to recognize those opportunities where they are. That's a really good point. And they they had resources, they had life experience, my dad had own, you know, had his own accounting business, all the things, all the side hustles, the experience. And uh, yeah, I was feeling my way through life. And I still am. So <laughs> Well, and just to, to bring it back to the MST3K thing for a minute, after the show ended, there were a bunch of different projects to revive it. And Cinematic Titanic, I loved. People would ask why they didn't do it. It's like, well, they had to rent out a venue and, and get the rights to for public exhibition and make DVDs. And Rift Tracks was just a much more low overhead model that could reach more people faster. Mm-hmm. It just made sense. You yeah. figured that out as you went along. No, right. And I think it kind of speaks to how all of life is sort of an experiment, even if you are in your day to day job, you're just everybody's, I used to think everybody had it figured out all the time. And none of us do, especially in this day and age. But yeah, I loved cinematic Titanic. There's nothing there was nothing like um, performing in front of a live audience and it was the first time I really got to see like really meet fans face to face Aaron and see their appreciation and it just got me in the feels in my heart you know it was just you know I came up doing stand-up so you love that live interaction and then to meet the fans afterwards there was nothing like it and you know, what with the fans seeing a show go away, generally speaking, you think that's that's all she wrote and we're going to move on to the next thing. We'll probably buy a box set and, and revisit it now and then. But to to have it come back, it was uh, not 
a normal thing to have happen. So people were jumping in on it. And as a fan, it was like almost a mini convention. Every time there was a show, people would gather together. They would make plans around the trip. Um, it was the first time in my life I could go up to a total stranger and say, watch out for snakes. And they knew what I meant. Oh my God, that is that is really, that's so great to hear. I love what you said about it being a mini convention. Where, what, did you go to Cinematic Titanic shows? Mm -hmm. Where? I went to some in St. Louis. Um, I went to some of the ones in Texas. I want to say those were in Dallas. Oh my gosh, wow. Um, The one where they did the meet and greet at the video store was I think my second one. I remember that meet and greet, but I can't remember what city it was in. Okay, I know it was in Texas. I want to say it was in Dallas. It could have been Austin. I don't think it was Austin. It's Dallas sounds right. Mm-hmm. Um, that is, that's really cool. It was the coolest thing because I had caught that meet and greets notice on the web as I was scrolling through something. It disappeared. I couldn't find it again. So I just had it written down on my notepad and I'm like, did I imagine this or or whatever? The notice disappeared. I went there and my traveling companion looked at me and said, I, what are you on? This is not going to happen. Why are they going to meet us in this video store? And then I heard Crow's voice say, hey, everybody, we're back. Oh, that's so funny. Okay, where, like, where are you located? I'm in Oklahoma City. Okay, so you kind of grateful deaded a lot of these shows. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Excellent. Wow. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Yeah, I, it was just what I did. I had just moved to Oklahoma from Pennsylvania. This was like the thing I could do to kind of see the countryside a little bit. Totally, mm-hmm. yeah. And again, it was it was a chance for me to chase something I'd liked for a while in a totally new format. I love film so much. And the way each individual riffing project takes its own spin on the concept, I couldn't get enough of it. Oh, that's that's really cool. Yeah, I I so I often marvel all the time. I marvel that um, this is crazy that this is what I do. Like my my skill set is getting ever narrower and narrower and narrower. But I I keep I keep working. I keep doing the thing. So and I think it's a case of where I mean you have a voice too. I mean when people you know they follow your writing, they listen to your you you can sometimes tell when a joke comes from a certain writer, even though it's being delivered by the same cast members. And uh, was you, you have the, the, the certain shoe size voice in, in the, your board from the, the MST3K Amazing Colossal episode, guys, that was your perspective, the shoe size. Oh, interesting. I'm, 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 right. I'm misremembering the joke, but yeah. Yeah, no, um, and that's a question we often get is um, if, it has several iterations, like do the char- like just referring to Mystery Science Theater, do the characters write the jokes? No, we all wrote the jokes. And how were they assigned? And sometimes, sometimes you could just hear it in Crow or Servo's or Joel's or Mike's voice. Other times you knew each actor was capable of putting their spin on it. And you joined the show fairly early in its run i believe season three season four season four okay Mm -hmm. so they're picking up new people i'm wondering what the conversation is like when one of the writers comes up and says would you be interested in working together on a, a more permanent basis because you know with the show being the crazy experiment that it was i'm wondering how they they brought in new talent from the pool of mostly stand ups in the area 
Oh, well, um, I'll just speak to my experience and my understanding of how the, the, um, the base group, if you will, came together. Um, Jim and Joel and Trace and Kevin collaborated because Jim, because Jim had the KTMA um, connection, as did Kevin, and uh, Trace and Joel had known each other from doing stand-up, and uh, Trace was instrumental in creating the visual look of it, and of course, he's a fucking comedic genius. Can I say that word? You certainly can. Okay. Please do. And um, then they brought in Mike Nelson and... I think Josh was part of the original group too, or he was brought in very early on board, not to split hairs. I'm just trying to think how that went. And then Mike came on board, then Bridget came on board and Frank was in the original. Yeah. Okay. I'm confusing the issue. Um, So one by one people were, were pulled in and then, then when they got picked up by Comedy Central, uh, Bridget called me. She and I had been doing stand-up and hanging out a lot. And the way it, my memory is, is she called me on a landline back in olden mm-hmm. times. And she said, she said, you didn't hear it from me. But Mystery Science Theater is looking for another writer. And then, of course, in my imagination, she hung up the phone immediately so the call wouldn't get traced. It was very dramatic, you know. <laughs> and so I mustered up all my courage and I called Mike and I said, in, in my imagination, my voice was very tremulous, like, even though we'd been doing stand up together for years and I knew him. Hi, Mike. Uh, you know, I just want to let you know that if Mystery Science Theater is ever looking for another writer, I'd be interested interested in in auditioning and he said well interestingly enough we are looking for another writer so I auditioned and um was lucky enough that they found me suitable and kept me on where are you seeing the current stand-up theme and in, in as much as you might follow it uh, because it just seems like with the way uh, the, the stand-up industry has moved to Netflix a collaboration like an MST3K might not happen as 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 fluidly as as it did back in the day. I don't know. Can you can you say more about what your what the question sure, is? Like sure, sure. No, I'm I'm putting it together in my head now. But I'm just because with Netflix being the kind of the stand up vehicle that we go to now, instead of what we used to do, where where a stand up would come out on on CDs and DV or, or VHS even, or we stand up. Uh, Comedy Central was a big venue for it at the time. It just seems like nowadays everybody's looking to just kind of get their own special and the, the stand-up collaborations and and the offshoot projects. I don't know. Is that something that that you, you see happening as easily these days? Boy, I don't know. I don't really have a beat on that. I do. I don't know that it happens quite as homegrown and organically mm-hmm. as it did in in best brains but i do see that a lot of stand-ups are collaborating with um 
a lot of other standups are directing their specials. Okay. So I think it's a it's a it's a pathway for furthering their career. I know that's a really vague answer. No, but that's that's kind of what I was getting at. Just and it was so some, a question popped into my mind right here. So I confess I hadn't prepared it there, but I just started realizing. Wait, I mean, stand up. I loved it, especially through the '90s. But it is a very different world now than it was then. Yeah. And I was just trying to put a spin on on what impact that has on not necessarily that art form, but that the other talents that stand-up comics tend to have that they don't necessarily develop until the moment presents itself. Yeah, I, I think that's a really good question. And I have to have to sit with that for a while. I just feel like the way the group came together for Mystery Science Theater 3000 was, was such, just so collaborative. It's not like there weren't egos in the room, but by and large, we were always working toward improving the show, making it the best show we could. So I am so grateful. And I learned so much from that, that dynamic, you know, um, we all wanted our jokes in there, but we all, we all were able to evaluate the quality of a joke and how it worked for the show. And we it never got cutthroat there were tempers you know we mm -hmm, would mm -hmm. we would argue about jokes but you had to make a case for it you had to make an intelligent choice for it and um you know nobody walked away threatening anyone else with you'll never work in this town again so i'm really grad grateful for that experience when you go through a movie the first time especially a movie you haven't seen before it's like you have to riff this that first viewing, can you even write jokes or are you just processing what you're seeing in front of you? You you can, like the, the energy in the room, you just start, you just throw in and you learn how to just start to throw in. There have been movies where you are processing it. Manos comes to mind where I just remember a lot of stunned silence and I'm sure there were others, but, but Manos is the touchstone for that dynamic. And the group energy is such that if someone, if you need to stand down for a while because you're overwhelmed or tired, there's other people throwing stuff out there. I ask because when I was reading the MST3K episode guide, like cover to cover many times over, that was always my takeaway from it is I want to understand what it's like to have a goal in mind, a process in mind to write these movies. Like what I, I did the, the iRiffs back when Rift Tracks let people submit their own and mm -hmm. trying to do that on my own, I was doing my best, but it's like, there's there's gotta be, when people actually do this professionally, I'd really like to see, it's, it's like trying to see an athlete in, in, in their, their, their best form. Like, how does it happen? <laughs> uh -huh. Well, I think it points to something else. And that is when Bridget and I do Rift Tracks, we're writing independently, mm -hmm. right? So we come up with our scripts individually and you do lose the dynamic of an in-person writing room where somebody can see a scene and have a whole different take on it. Then you get to build on that. You're seeing all these other perspectives. When Bridget and I meet in person and compare our scripts and refine the scripts, there's still that building process and it's, it's really fun, but it is, it's a whole different thing. 
you and Bridget have a tendency, and the other guys will do this too, but you two are especially good at it. What you almost have a, a continuity in your own minds of what these people are doing and and why. You end up making up your own little stories about so and so is doing this for this reason, and that ends up being very funny. It's a great way to fill silence. I've noticed that. Very interesting. And my first reaction is, I wonder if it doesn't point to the um, female dynamic to be ultra aware of the social dynamic in any given situation. Mm -hmm. I don't, I, that's not an answer. It's just a, a reflection on that observation. Um, yeah, I definitely uh, project the dynamic of what's going on in the this on the screen i think i think bridget does too i think it's it's um rife for a lot of humor and i think for us it makes us relatable to what's happening on the screen and with each other and hopefully for our audience when i was giving it my spin ages and ages ago i found it very easy to try to build off of a line and, and do a comeback or a snarky response to dialogue but it was usually a better joke if I actually stood back, stopped paying attention to the dialogue, and just looked at what was happening on the screen and, and built from that. So Do I, you have I an example? That's really interesting. Do you uh, have an example? I'm trying to think of uh, trying to think of some of the ones I've done. But for example, uh, in I Accuse My Parents, it's really easy to just go ahead and talk about, you know, fire back at the hokey dialogue and and talk about how the guys a lot but the joke that always hits no matter who's watching it is when they open the door and there's the picture of the duck on the wall and everybody goes quack 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 it's always funny it always gets a laugh just because you see a duck you hear quacking and it's like it just tickles that funny bone in a way you're not expecting That's so funny right right yeah and i think that gets back to what what everyone is noticing on screen or hearing on screen. And the thing I loved about Mystery Science Theater and Rift Tracks is that uh, with so many points of view, it could be all over the map, totally non sequitur, and there was always something to find. It was really, and it was really uh, a lot about unpeeling a lot of the, the um, social mores of all those educational films that was fascinating to me the, the educational films are a treasure trove and i'm so glad they haven't been lost to the ages as they very well could have been they needed to be brought back for this very purpose right right we like to think we've done our part yes, yes. i mean i i went to school at like the very very tail end of that era they were still dusting off their really old ones and throwing them up there. So I can only imagine what it was like when this was supposed to be the cutting edge educational tool that was going to keep kids taking baths and get staying off drugs. I know it's kind of, it's kind of stunning. And just when I think I've seen the most amazing one, another one comes along like we just did one produced by the military. I don't know, maybe the army or something that um, shows how, women enlistees are supposed to look and behave and it's it's not militaristic standards 
it's cultural standards hair. about like making sure your hair is done right and lipstick and you should probably see a hair professional it's it was really kind of mind blowing and like i say i always think man i've seen everything oh wow here's another take on that really reinforcing that like it's just to go back to the ones about the kids bathing, it's like, if you have a 10-year-old kid who doesn't know to comb their hair and brush their teeth, is the movie going to make the difference? I really wonder who sold that idea. No, that's a really good question. And what what is it for? Is it for conformity and uniformity? And um, wow, Aaron, I, I don't think I've looked deep enough about what, how those came to be and who pitched those and why they thought they were responsible for making sure Debbie's nails were clipped. You know what I mean? I'd done a little bit of research, not as much as I would have liked to, because, you know, time is short, but I really did look into it a little bit. And it seems like they were always sold as like a big package to schools of like 15 movies about this, that, and the other thing. Schools would buy them and they like, well, we spent the money on it. We have to use it because in the forties, fifties, and sixties, it was essentially what we treated the internet like now. It's like, this is going to be the educational tool of the future. Home video projectors are the thing. Oh. It's, this is the technology and whether it was actually the best use of it. I, wow. I, in the late 90s, Bill Gates wrote this article on, on kind of the same thing. He's like, you have to understand what computers are not going to do. Computers are not going to solve all of our problems. We thought that was going to happen with home movies. We thought it was going to happen with TV and it didn't fascinating yes yeah. yes hey if you come across that article would you forward it to me because that sounds I, fascinating but you're also pointing to something it just um uh, triggered a thought in me this constant societal need to standardize things mm -hmm. we want to standardize everyone bathing we want to standardize women's hem lengths being a certain height we want to standardize 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 so just the the energy and the the motivation that we're going to make this happen with this film I, it's it's again i'm just speaking off the cuff i i have to do more research i just sure now and i love these movies i love looking up the history of stuff like that that doesn't really get a lot of traction so i'm going to pledge to you i'm going to look back into this and see what i come up with and i'll put it in the show notes if i get anything I love it. Yes, I'll, I I'll send everything I can pledge. to you too. I appreciate that pledge, Aaron. Thank you. Well, in the meantime, I don't want to get out of here without giving you a chance to let people follow your adventures on the web. I mean, obviously, you're on Rift Tracks. So I'll put that in there. Where else can people track your stuff? I am doing a streaming show called The Mary Jo Peel Show with my co producer, Chris Gersbeck. And uh, you can go to dumb dash industries.com he produces um the mads show the mads are back show my show uh jackie Naaman jones has a um a painting show which is great and so chris and i get together once a month and we have guests and we do game shows and we just did if i may aaron we Please. just had the most amazing show where in one of our previous show, we, we have a really dynamic community for the Mary Jo Peel show. And they're very active on the chat and everyone's having fun, hopefully knock wood. And at one point somebody said in the chat, 
the Mary Jo Peel show should really have some sort of cult robe. And I think we were discussing like Manos or something. It all intersected. And so we had viewers contribute their designs for a Mary Jo Peel show cult robe or cult, cult outfit. And Erin, you would not believe how creative and amazing and smart these people are. And I invite everyone to join. It's just fun and silly. It's a different theme every month. And as part of that, we do Movie Joe Night, where we have a movie watching party once a month, too. It's not riffed. It's not produced. It's not scripted. We just all hang out and watch a really great dumb movie. That... And Dumb, 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 my mother's book reviews, is available through my website, mjpeel.com, or Red Hawk Publishing, and Amazon. I'll make sure all that gets in the show notes. And those social nights sound like a great idea. I'm going to follow up on my son myself. That sounds awesome. And this would be, I would be remiss if I didn't remind the audience that Jackie Naaman Jones was in episode four of this show. So if you want to scroll way back, you can cue that up too. Mary Jo, thank you so much for being here. I truly do appreciate it. I look to have back anytime. My pleasure, Aaron. It's always a pleasure talking to you. And can I just say that Jackie is a delight. I want to hang out with her and her painting show is so pardon me so fun so thank you for having me thanks everybody i would like to thank mary joe for being my guest today and i would like to thank you for listening one of the things that i wish we could have spent a little more time talking about in this episode is the community aspect of riffing we know it's fun to watch a movie be torn apart but seeing it together with people in the same room or online makes the experience even better mary joe and i had talked about the cinematic titanic era where it was a destination and now she's got the movie joe nights where you can enjoy that experience right in the comfort of your own home that goes right hand in hand with mst3k and riff tracks watch alongs where nowadays people are getting together on discord servers or in chat rooms maybe even in like facebook messenger groups and things like that enjoying the experience together from wherever they are i love this I love the fact that we appreciate these things more as a group, even as a almost a riffing family, if I can use those words. I'd like to hear more about how you are enjoying your riffing experience, whether it be in person or online. Tell me about your forums. Tell me about your IRC channels or even the Morse code you send out into the internet. Reach out to me at bossigpodcast at yahoo.com or follow me on Instagram or Hive or Twitter at Aaron Bossig. Don't forget you can subscribe to this show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify. Thanks so much and we'll see you next time. Keep circulating the tapes.